Okay, good morning. Good morning and Happy New Year. I know what you're thinking this morning. Pastor T, why are you a sweaty mess? And see, I want to extend an offer to you. You know, as one of your pastors, we care deeply about your spiritual health, but I also care about your physical health. And so this morning, I was outside shoveling, uh, as I have done for the last several years alongside Pastor Rich. Um, And I've had a few helpers this year, but I thought, you know what? If there are some of you who are like, it's a new year, and I am going to get in shape, man, there is no more free way to do it uh, than to stop by the church with your own shovel and move some of the snow. Help us out. Um, All right, I know some of you just closed your computer, and I'm sorry, but in all seriousness, uh, you know what, we've had lots of help uh, from Steve and Josh, but if you're around and you're thinking, man, it snowed a lot, <laughs> uh, think of us, come by, give us a hand, because some days, whew, uh, there's actually a lot of building to maintain and shovel, uh, especially this winter, so just thought I'd throw that out there. I know you've set goals for yourself, and let me help you achieve them, all right? Okay, so this morning, we're going to dive in, we're going to worship, because man, God is good, and we know that it's a new calendar year, but we're excited, um, yeah, just for what he's going to do. We know God is faithful. Uh, the last two years have been challenging. Um, we don't know what 2022 holds, uh, but God does, and so we're going to worship the one who just can be trusted, uh, who makes all things new, and who has our best interest in mind. Um, And then following worship, we're going to dive directly into a word from Pastor Mark Lewis. Uh, He's our district superintendent, so uh, he helps Ken. Uh, We heard from Ken Russell a few weeks ago, um, and he just has a real timely word for us. So let's pray, and let's just do that together, shall we? God, we thank you that as we enter what we like to call a new year, God, that uh, we can trust you, the one who makes all things new. And so today, God, we just lift up our voices and our hearts and our minds. Uh, Lord, even our hands at home, like, let's get a little crazy this year. uh, Because we want to honor you. We want to glorify you. We want to worship you because you are so deserving. And God, we know that maybe the year that we're closing the door on had many mixed emotions. Maybe it was very challenging. God, we know that uh, we're tired of not meeting together. (laughs) So, God, we just pray for an opportunity to meet and worship together as a church family in a way that honors you this year. God, we ask that you would just help us learn what we need to in this season so that when we are able to gather, when we come back and gather, God, that we would just be so ready to continue uh, to just grow as a church and a people. Um, Jesus, we love you. We pray that you would just anoint uh, Jason and Danette uh, as they lead us in worship this morning. Uh, and just open our ears to hear the word that Pastor Mark Lewis has. In your name we pray. Pray. Amen. What a great honor and privilege it is for me to be able to come today and to join in with you and share a little bit from God's Word today. I'm excited about diving in deep today to learn a little bit from God's Word. Uh, Especially today, we're going to be looking at the book of James, some great chapters, some great verses in James that are really all about uh, life application, learning to be more like Christ in our everyday lives. Uh, I want to look today 
at two different sections in James. Uh, we're going to look at chapter 1 and then we're going to jump over to chapter 3 to give you two different points, uh, talking a little bit today about becoming mature and complete uh, as Christ followers. Uh, James is one of those great books. It's often been compared to wisdom literature because it's got some just practical advice for everyday living on how you and I can become better Christians. Now, it's often received a little bit of criticism. Um, some theologians kind of look at it and say it's the epistle of straw because it's not really flowery and it's not really poetic. It is blue-collar, basic, how-to-do-life since you know about the gospel experience. So I'm talking to you today as Christ followers. If you're a believer in Christ and, and you are either been one for many, many years or maybe uh, just a brand new follower in Christ, James is speaking directly to us saying, here's how you be uh, better Christians. Here's how you do life now that you've experienced uh, the gospel, now that the gospel has changed your life. This is how you uh, should live, and, and it's just black and white. Uh, often when you go through the book of James, it is some great life advice, but it's just boom, black and white, straightforward. So I, I want to look at this idea today of becoming more mature and complete. Now you're going to hear that in one of the, the verses that I read to you today. Uh, and it's basically a challenge from James to you and I uh, to become more Christ-like and to grow and to develop and to mature uh, on our life journey. So if you have your Bibles today, turn with me to the book of James. We're going to start by reading chapter 1. Uh, this is chapter 1 of James. We're going to read down to verse 4. Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. And jumping over to verse 12 in chapter 1, it says this, Blessed is the one who perseveres under trial because having stood the test, that person will receive the crown of life that the Lord has promised to those who love him. Jumping one more time uh, down into verse 17, it says this, Every good and perfect gift is from above, coming down from the Father of heavenly lights, who does not change like the shifting, sh shifting shadows. That's a tough one. Say that one ten times fast. Shifting shadows. <laughs> so when we look at this particular few verses in James, it's all about joy. He's challenging us to live our lives being filled with joy, but not necessarily the way the world would look at joy, a completely different perspective. Let me ask you this question this morning. When was the last time you experienced unrestrained joy? Now, a few years ago when I was pastoring in a local church, I had the, the privilege of being able to look out my office window uh, at a playground. Now, our church had a daycare in the basement, and uh, two or three times a day, I'd be able to look out my window, and I would see all of our daycare kids playing in the playground. Now, you want to talk about unrestrained joy. It's just watching a bunch of toddlers frolic on the playground equipment. They're rolling around in the sawdust, and they're throwing the balls back and forth. They're going down the slides. They're swinging from trees. And I, I remember those moments in the day being so joy-filled because there was giggling and there was laughing and you could just see the look on their faces. There was just unrestrained, unabashed joy. 
When you and I think about that in our lives, think about joy for a second. Usually joy is attached to some great event or momentous occasion that happens in life. And when we look back and think back on it, we look, we go, wow, you know what? That was a great experience in life. And I remember feeling, feeling so joyful. Maybe it was the birth of a child or a grandchild and your heart was warm and you were filled with joy. Maybe it was your wedding day. Maybe you're one of those people that remembers joy when you got that letter that you got entrance into your dream school. Maybe if you're a sports fan, it was the time your team won the Stanley Cup. Sorry Canucks fans. But if you look back, we often associate joy with these moments in life and our heart gets filled to overflowing and we think, wow, that was great. But James, as we've just been reading, he kind of looks at this from a different point of view. James is kind of looking at joy and saying, you know what, it, joy shouldn't be like a, a bottle of fine wine that's down in your cellar that's only brought out on special occasions and very rare times. He's saying it should be paired with the good and the bad in life. The ups and the downs, the ebb and flow of life should all have elements of joy tied into them. That's why he says in that verse, consider it pure joy. Right off the beginning of this epistle, he jumps in with that. Consider it pure joy whenever you face trials. <laughs> now, for most of us, when we read that, and I'm, I am no different than you, I look at that and I go, what? Are you kidding me? Joy in trials, joy in difficulties, joy in our problems? What's wrong with you? Why would we ever consider trials to be reason for joy? But James gives us this answer in verses 4 and verses 12. And what he wants us to understand and see is that he's not talking about joy the way the world views it. He has a completely different perspective on it. Verse 4 and verse 12 tell us this, that trials in and of themselves are not the reason for joy. Circumstances are not the reason for joy. Joy, he says, comes from knowing that God is working in our lives. Joy comes when we realize that God is helping us become more mature and complete. Just like those few verses in the first chapter says, James wants us to understand that joy needs to be a part of our growing process in our lives. Becoming mature and becoming complete is what you and I as Christ's followers should strive to do. We should become more like Christ. That's the epitome, the essence of everything we strive for should be to be more like Jesus. And that's what James is saying here is, I want you to become mature and complete. And part of that is finding joy in every aspect of life. The trials, that's not the point of what he's talking about here. It's what those trials produce in us. The development, the growth of becoming more Christ-like. To be conformed into Christ's likeness is probably the greatest source of joy imaginable. For a believer in Christ, our desire, our goal, our focus should be to become Christ-like. When my kids were little, and for those of you that have children or grandchildren, you might remember this too, but when my kids were little, I would drop them off at Sunday school on a Sunday morning when we would go to church. And often I would hear them singing uh, a classic old Sunday school song. You might have heard it, where the kids start to sing and they go, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. 
down in my heart. Okay, you remember that song? And as the song goes along, it comes to a, a, a chorus part. And at the chorus part, it's like, because I'm so happy, so very happy. I remember my kids singing that song. Man, I, I actually remember singing that song in Sunday school myself. And like a lot of people, we connect joy and happiness. And we think that they're synonymous, that they should be the same thing. And actually, for a lot of Christians, we have this guilt put on us that joy and happiness should, should go together. That you and I should walk around every day with a big smile on our face, always being happy, always being cheery, always being bright, no matter what we face in life. And the truth is, that is wrong. That's not what James is talking about. When James is speaking about joy, it's something different than happiness. He's not saying those two things should go together. He's saying they're completely and totally different experiences. The commentary writer Craig Bloomberg says this, Unlike happiness, which is so often rooted in our circumstances, joy is a state of being a settled contentment in every situation, an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. I, I love that line. That last line is so honest and so true. It is an unnatural reaction. It's not normal for us to be joyful in every situation. There are ups and downs in life. There are, are bad situations that happen. There are, there are experiences that you and I will have that are overwhelming and saddening and depressing. And that's why he says here that real true joy is an unnatural reaction of deep, steady, unadulterated, thankful trust in God. Joy has less to do with feelings and emotions and more to do with thinking and perception. James wants that thought to sing in, into our hearts. A number of years ago, I read a, an article by C.S. Lewis, a great pastor, great author, great writer. And he said this when he was speaking about joy and happiness. He said, most of us don't really want a father in heaven. Rather, we wish for a grandfather. A senile benevolence who only wants to see the young people enjoy themselves. One whose plan for the whole universe is that at the end of the day, everyone would say, wow, a good time was had by all. <laughs> now, when I hear that, I think C.S. Lewis is talking about this idea that what most of us want is for God to make us happy. I just want to be happy, God. I just want to enjoy life. I just, I just want to find that kind of joy. And we're asking God all the time to just make us happy. But the trouble is God, our Father, He wants more for us than just being happy. He wants for you and I to actually be holy. To be, as James says, mature and complete. Rebuilt in the image of Christ. And this is the reason why sometimes God allows you and I to go through trials of many kinds. They're there to shape us. They're there to form us, to help make us more like Christ. Now, on this path of becoming uh, mature and complete, there's another part. 
And James addresses that a couple chapters later in verse 3. The second part, and I want to read this text to you in a minute, is part of our journey to being mature and complete. It deals with developing wisdom. Not only does James challenge us to have a different perspective of joy, to look at the ups and the downs of life with a joyful heart because we know who we are in Christ, but he also says that being mature and complete is developing wisdom. So let's look a little bit further ahead. If you have your Bibles again, could you pull them out and flip over just two chapters to chapter 3. And I want to read chapter 3 starting at verse 13. This is what it says. Who is wise and understanding among you? Then let them show it by their good life, by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. But if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast about it or deny the truth. Such wisdom does not come down from heaven, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and every evil practice. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit. It's impartial and sincere. Peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. I would dare to say that all of us want to be filled with wisdom. I would think that becoming someone who is wise is a goal that most of us would love to attain. But have you ever thought, what makes a person wise? Sometimes people think you're wise if you wear glasses. Or maybe all day long you have a sweater on. You look like the professor and so you have an image of wisdom. Maybe you think people who have gray hair or life experience or wise. I know when, when my kids were young, I'd read them stories about the wise old owl in their storybooks. And we have this image of wisdom, and it's a picture in our minds of what it looks like. Maybe some of you today think that someone is really wise if they have all sorts of degrees all over their walls. We all have different ideas of what wisdom is. But this journey that James is talking about, this journey of being mature and complete is showing that there's evidence in your life of having wisdom. Well, what is true wisdom? Is it a learned knowledge? Is it a life experience? Is it something that we can achieve by, through books or classes or study? Well, in verse 13, James tells us that if you have real wisdom, heavenly wisdom, not earthly wisdom, then you'll show it by your good deeds. James is challenging you and I in these particular verses to really demonstrate what we have. If we have true wisdom, it will be exemplified in how we live our lives. So what he's saying here to us is that wisdom is not just intellectual knowledge. There's also an accompanying behavior. It's how you act. It's what you say. It's how you treat others around you. Verse 14 and 16 of that text tells us that earthly wisdom is selfish and envious. It's all about us. But true wisdom, James says, isn't motivated by ambition for something, to get something or to achieve something, but rather uh, it's, it's, it's selfless. It, true wisdom isn't about serving our own interests. Uh, he says that true wisdom actually produces godly fruit. 
And I love that because when we look through the Bible and we see what godly fruit is, it's gentleness, kindness, meekness, patience, and on and on and on. And this is what James is talking about, that those things would be evident in your life and my life if we're attaining a heavenly wisdom. If you look with me in verse 17 in that text that we just read, chapter 3, verse 17 says this, But the wisdom that comes from heaven is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate, submissive, full of mercy and good fruit, impartial and sincere. Wow! Those are big words. When I think of wisdom, I think, wow! To try and attain all of those things in my life is a monumental task. But that's what James is challenging us. He's saying to us to become mature and complete, to be a reflection of Christ to the world. You need to not only look at life through this joyful lens, but you also need to try hard to develop this heavenly wisdom that has these things as outward expressions of what's going on inside of you. Let's look at those words for a second and get a little deeper meaning to each one of them. When he says true wisdom is pure, what he's talking about is that true wisdom is not simply tainted by evil or desires or selfishness. When he says peace-loving, he's saying that wisdom doesn't look for trouble, but it seeks out peace in every situation of life. He says the word considerate. And what he means is that it's wisdom that's helpful to others, not harmful in any way. Submissive. And I know for a lot of people that's a trigger word. But what James is talking about here is wisdom that's submissive is a wisdom that doesn't try to start arguments, but tries to be reasonable, no matter how difficult the problem is that you're facing. Then he says, wisdom is full of mercy. Well, what he means by that is that it's quick to forgive. It overlooks offenses to try and find harmony and peace and grace. Then he says, wisdom is full of good fruits. And just like I mentioned earlier, that's talking about producing godliness in you and I. The word impartial is used. And that means that it's wisdom that's fair. Wisdom that sticks to the truth above everything else. And finally, the last word is sincere. And that's a powerful word. What James is talking about here is it's wisdom that doesn't put on a, a false front, but is genuine, authentic, and real at all times. What he wants us to understand is that the wisdom he's talking about on our journey to becoming mature and complete is not just learning. It's not just knowledge. It's behavioral. It's actually life change. For every one of us, when we've come into a relationship with Jesus Christ, in some way, whether small or large, we've experienced life change. And that's what James is talking about. That's what he's challenging us with, is saying that along your journey to becoming more mature, better Christians, deeper in your relationship with the Lord, you need to become mature and complete. You need to develop this type of heavenly wisdom in your life. Kent Hughes who's an incredible author and theologian, says this, Being wise does not mean we understand everything that is going on because of our superior knowledge, but that we do the right thing as life goes along. I love that last line. And I think that's so important for us. If we're to be Christ-like, if we're to become mature and complete, 
doing the right thing in every situation in life is a big task, but it's the task that makes the world see Jesus in us. James chapter 1 now, if we flip back, we were reading in James chapter 3. I want you to jump back to the first chapter with me again for just a moment. And this is what it says when it comes to talking about how you get this type of wisdom. Like, it's great that we understand it now. We look at all the big words that are a part of it and we go like, wow, that's a, a huge task, but how do we do that? Well, look what James says back in verse 1, verse 5. Chapter 1, verse 5. He says, if any of you lacks this wisdom, you should ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Ask God. Again, there is this constant prodding that you're not on your own, this reminder that you're not out there facing life and all its trials and all its problems by yourself, but that God walks with you. And God says, if you need wisdom in your life, ask me for wisdom. If you need mercy or patience or all of the things that we just read about, it says, ask me and I will be generous to give it to you. What an incredible truth and promise from God. Every day, you and I will have to make choices. That's just part of life. And when we look at what James is talking about, we will be faced with making a choice to find joy in every situation, no matter how difficult. Some of the situations we'll face in life are absolutely overwhelming. They're hard. They're painful. They bring emptiness and darkness into our lives. And yet, James is challenging us that in those times, consider it pure joy that you're going through them. Because you know that in that difficult moment, God is stretching you and growing you, that you're not alone. But be joyful, not for the circumstance that you're in, but be joyful because you know God is with you, going through it, beside you. And then there are times in our lives when we're going to have to make the choice to follow either the wisdom of the world or the heavenly wisdom. The fact is, those choices affect us every day. They affect our families, our friends, they affect everyone around us. And we can walk through life struggling and complaining and, and grappling with these difficult times, or we can do what James says, to choose to walk a path of becoming mature and complete realizing that we don't walk it alone, but we walk it with God's help and God's strength, developing a godly joy and a godly wisdom in our lives. I want to leave you with this last verse because I think it's a great verse from Romans that sums up this idea. Romans chapter 15, verse 13 says this, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in Him. I believe that verse gives you this challenge and encouragement to walk through life with the joy, a happiness, and a, and a fullness knowing that God is with you in every situation. And maybe there's a challenge in the end of it there that says, if you want more wisdom in your life, if you need more wisdom in your life, then trust and ask God, the one who can grant it, so that you can continue on this path to becoming mature, and complete, a better reflection of who Christ is in you for all the world to see. Have an incredible week, and I hope that this word blesses you. I was too busy enjoying singing that song to God to be ready, <clears throat> so 
anyhow. Uh, yeah, I was just challenged by that uh, message from Mark, and I hope that you were too, because there was so much in there. Um, but one of the things that uh, often happens at New Year's is like people set resolutions or goals, and you know, there's all this uh, science and statistics on how resolutions don't last. So then, then people say, oh, well, set goals for yourself, but make them smart, right? Like specific and measurable and attainable and timely and, and all these things. Um, but what happens is we kind of do this, and, and some of you are goal crushers, and uh, God bless you for that. But for me, there becomes like a lot of guilt and shame when I start to like set this goal and then let it slip away. And so um, I'm kind of blessed to have uh, specific leaders in my life. And one of the things that uh, I've learned over the years is, is to do it as an experiment. Like what would my life look like this year if, you know, I chose to get outside more or if I chose to spend less time on social media, whatever, whatever it is, if I chose to eat healthy. Um, and so my question is, what would your life look like this year if you chose joy? Like, what would my life look like this year if I chose joy? And I think that's um, maybe a realistic posture because we're not always going to choose joy. It's a, it's a journey and there should be no guilt and there should be no shame because God is walking with us all the time through it. Uh, but it's just a reminder to ourselves like, hey, this is what it means to become more like Christ. Um, and so what would it look like if I spent uh, time in the word? What would it look like if I... S and, then, and then you can say, hey, like last year I, I only read my Bible like <laughs> once a month. Uh, it might sound rough, but like, hey, you know, like maybe this year I'm going to see what would my life look like if I read my Bible like once a week or twice a week. And, and you're not setting crazy high standards. You're saying like this is a journey and this is a process and I'm, it's an experiment because I want to see what God will do. And I promise you he will show up in the midst of that and he will change your life. Um, but yeah, so I'll just leave you with that. Um, and I just wanted to remind you of the verse in Romans. It says, now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you believe so that you may overflow with hope. How? By the power of the Holy Spirit. So just remember that. Let's pray. God, we thank you that, uh, yeah, you challenge us with your own word of what it means to be uh, a believer, a follower, um, a Christian. And part of that is like walking in joy, choosing to believe and trust you and, and, and be joyful. But God, just like Pastor Mark said today, it's not joy because of our circumstances. It's joy that despite our circumstances, you're walking with it, uh, walking with us through it. And I think that's so important, God, to remember, that you're walking with us through every day, every season, every up and every down. And because of that, we can choose joy. We can trust you uh, because you've proven yourself to be faithful. And we know that you are working uh, all things uh, for, for our good. God, not necessarily our happiness, but for our holiness and for our betterment. And so, Lord, as we look to this next year, we just pray that you would just remind us of that question. God, what would our lives look like if, if we spent more time with you? in the word, in prayer, and choosing joy and community, God. And we just ask that you would show up the way that you do,
the way that only you can and that you would just change our lives, that you would just oh, surprise us with, with your goodness and your faithfulness. And so, God, we, we love you and we want to just commit ourselves to you this year. Commit ourselves to the plans that you already have for us. And we thank you for that, Jesus. We thank you that in the midst of uh, this pandemic, in the midst of this season of life, that you're with us. That you've never left us, that you won't forsake us, that you're the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. And because of that, uh, we can choose joy. And so we just ask this in your holy name. Amen. Amen. Be blessed. Next week, uh, Pastor Ralph will be here. And uh, so tune in, and we look forward to just inviting him in in this season of transition. Be blessed.